Heavenly Father, today we put on the full armor to protect us against attack. We put on the belt of truth to protect against lies and deception. We put on the breastplate of righteousness to protect our hearts from the temptations. We put the gospel of peace on our feet to walk in your light, peace, and freedom with the Holy Spirit. We rebuke anxious thoughts. We take up your shield of faith for protection to block and destroy all the darts and threats thrown at us by the enemy. We put on the helmet of salvation to cover our minds and thoughts, reminding us that we are children of a mighty king. We are forgiven, set free, saved by the blood of Jesus. We take up the sword of the spirit, your living word that has the power to demolish strongholds and is sharper than any double-edged sword. We come to you, Lord, in prayer daily. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. What's up, you guys? Welcome to The Imagination. I'm your host, Emma, and today I'm absolutely honored to introduce to all of you survivor and child abuse advocate, podcaster, woman of God, independent researcher, investigative journalist and educator, and hero, Jamie J. Jamie is someone I'm really excited for all of you to meet. Although Jamie's upbringing wasn't without its own dysfunction, Jamie has always been an incredibly intelligent and empathetic person who excelled on many endeavors she has taken on in life. She could literally be doing anything else with her time, energy, and voice, and instead, she chooses to volunteer her time researching and educating on topics such as SRA and DID, as well as being a survivor advocate. I can't tell you how much I admire Jamie for stepping into a fight she could have simply studied from the sidelines or never even spoken up publicly about. I consider her to be a hero for braving speaking out as a survivor ally, knowing it puts a target on her back, and despite it being something she hasn't made a single penny for. She is one of my heroes for her bravery and courage, and I know all of you listening on the other side of the screen who are or aren't survivors, will find her to be just as awe-inspiring, courageous, and incredible as I do. Today, one of the big things Jamie is going to educate educate us on and talk about is a particular moment in time that preceded the satanic panic, a testimony and story about a woman named Michelle Smith who, along with her therapist, began whistleblowing the horrors she remembered as an adult that she experienced as a child being heinously abused by members of a satanic cult. This case is extremely important for you and I to know about because it broke ground for victims, survivors, and whistleblowers all over the world to have a voice, and also was ground zero for the eventual discreditation, propaganda, and orchestrated cover-up of satanic ritual abuse that we know today as the satanic panic. There is currently an active smear campaign coming back to haunt survivors that is again pushing the satanic panic narrative. And it's important we're aware of this so we can continue to stand together to be louder than those who are dedicated to covering up the truth. Satanic ritual abuse was given a spotlight for the first time in history because of Michelle and is still able to be talked about today because of her courage to speak out when no one else would. Her book, Michelle Remembers, was the first account of SRA to go viral in a time when the internet didn't even exist and when the satanic panic that followed was the reason we are still all fighting today for survivors' voices to be heard. Jamie's expose today on this important case serves as a reminder that what we are doing in the present wouldn't be possible without those who paved the way in the past, and I hope we can all take inspiration from this episode today to remember Michelle when we grow tired and weary ourselves and to fight for her as much as she fought for every one of us and every survivor to be able to speak out today. 
Before I finish introducing today's guest, I wanted to just give a quick reminder that if you're a survivor or whistleblower who wants to share your story on the podcast or who wants to share any information privately with me, you can email me at imagineabetterworld2020 at gmail.com. I'd also love your support on my Substack, where I'm taking up journaling as an outlet for me personally to reflect on the podcast guests and my advocacy work. And you, you can subscribe to me there at www.emmacatherine.substack.com. All of my social media links are also in the show notes. And I can't thank all of you enough for your courage to care. So you guys, without further ado, please help me in welcoming today's guest of honor, hero for the children and survivors, passionate anti-abuse activist, content creator, and voice for the voiceless, the one, the only, Jamie J. Jamie, thank you so much for being here with me today. Hi, thank you so much for that intro. That was really awesome. (laughs) You're welcome. You deserve every word. I like I was telling you before we started recording, you know, it's it's really beautiful for me to see people like you, you know, beautiful, educated, talented, gorgeous, kind, empathetic, brilliant people, you know, stepping into this movement when you could literally be doing anything else with your time. So I wanted to open up the floor to you for a minute. You're new on the show. I'm sure some of my guests have seen you on Max Lowen's podcast or some of the other podcasts that you've been on. I know you've done many. Um, And I encourage people, if they haven't looked into you, to go watch Jamie's dozens and dozens of of interviews. She's amazing. But I wanted to just open up the floor to you to talk about maybe how you got into this advocacy work and and just a little bit about you before we get on to this really important story that you're going to share with us. Uh, okay, so um, a little bit about me. Um, sorry, I like I really don't like talking about myself, but I'll try and just give like a little. I know I, it's, it's hard for me, but I'll try and just give a little bio. Um, like my background is, um, you know, I did uh, take sociology and psychology in university, and I've I've always kind of like. I like psychology, but I also like the sociology really about like groups and group dynamics and like power and abuse and structures and cults and just like, you know, kind of organizational stuff was um, like more of an interest to me. Um, And then, um, you know, out of university, I ended up ending up uh, working in a lot of like social service agencies and nonprofits and stuff and like, you know, trying to uh, make a difference, but also seeing the way these organizations operate and like different levels of, you know, like really behind the scenes, even like another area of uh, problems within structures. And um, I spent some time in the military. Um, so again, I got to see really, an, you know, organized industrial, you know, power structures and kind of the whole psychology of, of that. Uh, I learned a lot from that. Um, I've always been an avid, avid reader. Like I just can't get enough reading books. Like this is like just one wall in my place. Like I, I literally feel like I've probably read my entire life way. Um, so that's just kind of something I was uh, born with at a pretty young age. So I've always been a researcher. I've always been a real generalist. Um, but I've always had a lot of empathy and, um, I've always, you know, had a heart for like abuse and especially child abuse and, um, just, you know, just really unjust things in humanity has just always been something that I've just cared about and, um, tried to learn about, tried to work in different areas and, um, you know, I, I ended up, um, like I said, I kind of wrote a bio to you saying that I really could see in hindsight, the way that God was preparing me with just kind of showing me little bits of things at a time, like to kind of prepare me for this thing. And when I, when I really learned about, um, satanic ritual abuse, like, uh, like I said, I actually felt like a shift in my spirit where I was like, no, like this 
it, it changed my reality. Like when I really comprehended what I was being uh, informed of, I like my world was no longer the same. Like once I had an understanding of what this is and, and how much is happening, um, I, there was nothing else I could do. Um, I, I like, I just started reading everything, researching, just really trying to understand it. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I don't think there was any going back for me once I understood really the, the capacity, uh, and then the capacity of what's really actually going on. It, it just, for me, it was like, a you know, no question asked, like, this is what I have to, this is the most important thing. And I still feel like this is the most important thing. Like I said, I'm a generalist. I've been on lots of people's shows about different types of things and, and topics. And I think there's a lot of citizen journalism going on right now where people are, you know, trying to figure stuff out. But I always say this is the most important thing, because if you don't understand the fragmentation and the dissociation and the programming and the mass level of how this agenda is actually working through humans. Um, It's none of the stuff that's happening on the surface of the world stage or the actual, you know, um, things happening in the world are going to make sense if you don't understand um, this fracturing of the human soul, like, and how it's been done on a mass scale. And when you really start to understand this, then like all these players on the stage are going to look at things really differently and things are going to make sense in a completely different way. And I don't think, anything could make sense without understanding this. And I do feel like survivors voices are the most important people to listen to right now. Um, I I, I felt that way for years. I still feel that way. And um, like I said, I've looked into a lot of things. This is the most important thing in my opinion. I couldn't agree more. That was, I love how you said like a shift in your spirit, like that hit me. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, like I relate so hard to that. You know, like I was just panicking, like, what can I do about this? What do I need Mm -hmm. to do? Where can I learn more? You know, so I love that all those little breadcrumbs that you were given throughout your life helped you accept this, you know, because you are a really strong voice for people. You're very eloquent. And that is one of the things that I love about you is you take these really big and hard ideas that maybe the rest of society or the average person, you know, it's too much for them to comprehend. And you're able to sort of shrink it down and bite so we can eat it. And it's not too much. And when they hear it from you, somebody who is, you know, very brilliant. You're beautiful. You know, you could be doing anything and like, you're talking about these really hard things. So you're somebody too. I think that people would be really open to listen to and be like, she doesn't sound crazy. The stuff she's saying does a little bit, but like, she's obviously very well put together and educated and like researched, you know? So this case that you're going to talk about today is really important to you because, you know, the satanic panic was a groundbreaking part in time because for, on one hand, before, the actual propaganda started, it, it really blew up and and survivors voices were getting heard. Therapists were getting heard, you know, like it was going somewhere to where there were actions being taken from it, you know? And then all of a sudden a smear campaign came out, you know, and and basically I don't want to say started from scratch because now people knew that didn't before, but it really put the veil back over society's eyes and made a lot of people turn away. You know, but yet at the same time, it's still something that a lot of people don't know about. So I'm going to turn this over to you. This is really important what you're going to talk about today, just the history behind it and details that I'm positive most people haven't heard. I even hadn't heard any of this till you brought it to my attention recently. So I'm going to let you start wherever you want. Um, but I just want to I want to thank you in advance because this is going to be a really important episode, no matter if you're a survivor advocate, no matter who you are like this, this is an episode for everybody to hear. So I'm going to turn it over to you. 
Thanks. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm really passionate about this. I'm so happy to um, put something out about this because there's, uh, there is quite a bit of stuff on the internet that I encourage people to Google some of the terms that I sent you a whole bunch of links. We'll add with this later just for people to start looking into things. But um, this, uh, so basically, um, you know, this book came out in the eighties and um, this was the first book that really sparked um, kind of, uh, you know, all the, the talk shows and everything having, you know, um, you know, people on and, and, you know, interviewing people about satanic cults. And I think like every single talk show had these people on like, uh, you know, all the famous ones, you know, Geraldo, Oprah, all of them, they all kind of, you know, this was like the original kind of expose in the eighties, um, when this book came out. Um, and, and can I just to back up a little, the book is called Michelle remembers just for people who might be listening and not, um, watching the video. Right. So the, the timing that this book came out in 1980 is significant because if you look at the history of MK Ultra programs post World War II, is when they really industrialized and mechanized ritual abuse um, and began using it very scientifically and strategically on uh, larger numbers of people. And so um, because it was kind of the first uh, batch of people that they had done it to on a mass scale, um, and they didn't really have a lot of experience with how it would play out over time. And so we know now that around the age of 30 is a very common age for people to start having bleed through of memories and for some of this programming to start to break down. And so some of the people, so in the 80s, there was actually a whole bunch of survivors that ended up in psych wards and, you know, coming into offices because they had basically been programmed right after World War II in the 50s. And so it makes a lot of sense that in the 80s would be the time when this kind of first batch of industrialized level of um, NPA Ultra going on would have started to sort of uh, break down. And so um, this was, you know, one of the first books that came out. Um, this book um, was written by a girl um, whose name was Michelle Proby, but um, she... Uh, Sorry, I'm just going to start from a basic level. I know your audience is a lot more advanced than this for most people, but I just, I, I think that um, I want to kind of just address stuff from kind of a beginner level for this, for people that don't really know about it as well, because this is a really, this is a real turning point in history. So basically, Michelle Proby had gone in for counseling um, and basically because she had had a miscarriage and had like depression and anxiety and went in for counseling. I believe she saw Dr. Pazder, who was a, a psychiatrist for a number of years for that stuff. Um, and then came back in at a later time and basically um, she was put under hypnosis. She basically screamed for 25 minutes straight and then started talking in a child's voice and started, um, you know, basically uh, abreacting a bunch of uh, satanic ritual abuse. And so um, all of these transcripts um, got recorded by Dr. Pazder. Um, they basically, unfortunately, went to the Catholic Church for help. Um, and these tapes are actually still in the Vatican right now. As far as I know, the tapes are not public. I would personally love to listen to them, but I don't know if I can get my hands on them. If anybody knows about that, please post it in the links because I wouldn't mind reading the transcripts myself. Um, so basically, um, what happened is he transcribed all of it. They started, you know, they went to the church, they went to the Vatican. They basically um, really exposed, you know, this occult network that Michelle had talked about her mother selling her into at the age of five for, for programming in the city of Victoria, BC, Canada. Um, and so... Uh, 
anyways, the, this, they ended up writing the book and this book basically was like a bestseller. They were on every single talk show. They started, um, you know, being, uh, experts and like training, uh, officers and social workers and like basically just being experts on this phenomena of satanic ritual abuse. Um, now there's been a huge campaign to discredit this book and, um, for a number of reasons. So number one is um, this book is kind of the way that it's written. It's not written um, like some of the other books of survivors where they're writing their testimony. This book is written by numerous people together trying to make sense of the transcripts and then put it together in a coherent story. Um, and a lot of the stuff in there is stuff that came out under hypnosis from a young child's mind, right? And so... When they try to debunk this book, they they basically take something that's very um, disjointed and right-brained and kind of all over the place, which is actually evidence of multiplicity and <laughs> fragmentation. Like if you read, um, you know, some of the books, like Alyssa E's first books, I know she's put out, uh, you know, different ones now, but if you read these older ones, they are very disjointed because that's exactly what it's like for survivors when they start to put together what's happened to them and so that in no way negates the validity of the story is the way that it's written and also taking into account that this was um perceptions of a five-year-old girl under trauma right and so because children's mind blends the imagination with reality or their perception of what's happening especially under trauma um you know it's very much included in the book the way that she experienced it and so taking that into account if you take this book and try to dissect it forensically, it's obviously not going to be linear and make perfect logical sense. And that's one of the way they try to debunk the book is say, well, oh, it's impossible, you know, that this happened or that happened. But for anybody that studied SRA and hypnosis and the way the subconscious mind works and how they utilize the child's imagination, it's absolutely like makes perfect sense the way that this book is if you read it within that context. Um, and so you kind of have to read this book, you know, and, and I say reading all survivors books, you read it more with your right brain than your left brain, right? Even though some people's books, because of survivors photographic memory, they kind of transcribe everything in a very verbatim way, like a tape recording, but then other people's books are disjointed. And so it's just taking it in kind of as a whole and not, you know, like reading it with your left brain, if that makes sense. So that's one way they tried to discredit the book. Um, another way that they tried to um, delegitimize the book was the fact that Dr. Pazder and Michelle ended up um, leaving their spouses and getting married after. Um, and that's something they always try to focus on. And yes, there are laws and ethical guidelines where clients and um, psychiatrists or any type of helping profession should not have intimate relationships with their patients. Like that's very standard. Um, and so that is kind of an odd part to the story. However, focusing on that is just a way to deflect from the story because that actually doesn't negate the truth of the story at all. It's actually completely separate. Um, although they do try to use that as some type of way to discredit the book saying, oh, well, you know, Michelle was in love with him and that's why she started like fabricating these stories because it was what he wanted to hear. And, you know, like they'll kind of use this as a way to discredit the story. But in my opinion, it doesn't discredit it at all. And um, these people actually ended up being married for the rest of their life. So like, I mean, that's, that has to stand for something in the fact that it wasn't just like some weird sexual abuse on the, on the, um, 
you know, by a psychiatrist to a patient, like these people actually ended up being together for the end of their life. Lawrence Pazder, the doctor died in 2004. Um, and so once he was um, gone and could no longer defend himself anymore, um, there is a group of people that have recently put out another documentary trying to discredit this book even further. Um, and when I saw this documentary, I got really annoyed because, um, first of all, the group of characters in this documentary and people can find this documentary. It's really easy to find. I'm not going to say the name of it here, but if you just Google Michelle remembers, it's going to be very easy for you to find a recent documentary that was put out trying to re-debunk something that's come up again. Um, the group of characters in this particular documentary are known characters that have been around for a long time as professional debunkers. Um, some of them actually uh, write books about uh, all different types of cases of SRA in history. And I mean, that's basically their full time job is to try and basically go back and rewrite history uh, so they can control the narrative um, going forward. And so, uh, yeah, I feel like this book is really, really important as a piece of history because it really was the first book where this came out. And like you said, Emma, people actually were interested to hear it. And, and you know, it was on the talk show circuits and people were like, oh, what's going on? And because they didn't have the internet yet, then they were able to actually really control the narrative and squash it. And um, I think Michelle's taken like a lot of abuse for this book, like um, because she's basically just been, um, you know, called a liar and said that she made it all up. And you know, it's, it's, um, I think just the fact that it's coming up again now, it's a really important time to revisit it and just talk about the whole debunking, uh, uh, scenario that they seem to, uh, have these professionals that just are like full-time people that go around debunking things and just really addressing that as part of the cover-up of this. Yes. A hundred percent, you know, and, and it, it goes back to anything else, right? If we don't know where we came from in our history, then we're not going to be able to be on the forefront of preventing the pattern from happening again. Right. And so to me, this tells me that survivors right now are getting really loud and people are starting to listen again and they're scared. And so they're going to bring back some of what caused the satanic panic to get people to look away again and to focus on something that they're putting in a mainstream context and on these more mainstream platforms that people have more access to than maybe my podcast or other podcasts where survivors are going to speak their stories. Right. So I want people to be encouraged that like your voices are being heard. Like there, there's obviously some type of fear from people who are guilty. Otherwise there wouldn't, they wouldn't think to bring this up again. They wouldn't have taken time to make a whole documentary on this. Right. So that's good. But at the same time, if we don't understand this history, if we don't know how it started and like what caused that giant cover up to sort of come back, you know, and, and to me, it, it pushed it back. There was a lot of progress. Like police were even being trained on satanic ritual abuse right back then. That's all but gone. And now a lot of cops, you know, unfortunately, I don't want to say a lot, but there's some that participate in it. Right. So like we have to understand that like society's shifting again. There is the internet now is working on our side that we have it and stories are getting out and people are starting to look away from the news and they're starting to be interested in more independent style uh, journalism or podcasts. Um, but at the same time, you know, if they're putting out an active campaign, like we know the organization that goes behind this, like the media is a very powerful source. So if they're starting to flood the media with this again, then that means that there's going to be another active cover up that could turn some eyes away again. You know, and so for me, this is important because it's it's a time for us to come together 
and get even louder and be strong and understand history so we can prevent the past from happening again now or in the future. Yeah. And like, even the word satanic panic, like that's a, like a neuro-linguistic programming phrase where they're like implanting that phrase in your mind, like, of oh, satanic panic, satanic panic. Like it's, um, you know, it just disregards people from going any further. And I was saying before the show too, like this whole narrative of things being debunked when like, when something's debunked, it means there's actually evidence of fraud or misleading information. And most of these stories have never been debunked. There's just, they've just told you they've been debunked, but they actually haven't because, well, first of all, you can't really disprove allegation. Like that's a pretty hard thing to do. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's, again, it's how they're programming us all to just sort of, you know, uh, believe the official story. You know, they have these professional, um, debunkers on the internet now, like that, you know, what are fact checkers, um, you know, like they have people that, that this is their full-time job. And, um, you know, from my experience in studying cults, like a cult cannot operate without police officers and without medical people working in the medical system. Like those are two things they always have control of in order for the cult to function because that's their biggest way of covering up crimes and keeping themselves with having, uh, immunity from, uh, you know, prosecution. So, um, those like, those two things are always there. Um, and then with the um, kind of debunking of the satanic panic, like if people want to go back in history, there's a couple of cases that um, basically, so this book kind of spun it off. And then there was um, the McMartin daycare, which people have also said has been debunked. However, there was recent FBI release um, um, with documents in regards to the finders cult, which is something else people should Google and research. Um, this is not conspiracy theories. There's ample evidence here. If people, if people want to know about this stuff, the, the information actually is available. You just have to actually go and do your homework. Um, and so the FBI released information on the finders cult, which actually showed that there was tunnels underneath McMartin. Um, and so basically the way they debunked it was saying that there wasn't tunnels. So that what the children were saying could not be true. And so just recently in the last couple of years, there's been more like documentation with actual, um, you know, diagrams of the tunnels and stuff. So, I mean, that's like, just as an example. So I, I got that in my links that people can look into that. There's the Presidio daycare case, which again was, um, you know, Michael Aquino, a known, uh, Satanist for the temple of set. You can research who he is. Um, you know, I don't care what people's opinion is of it. Like, I mean, I think if people really uh, listen to how many people have mentioned my, like, you know, um, as an abuser that, you know, I like there's in the court of law, there's evidence and there's proof. And even in the legal system, witness terrorist testimony is considered evidence. It's just not considered proof. So it has to be corroborated. So, but that doesn't negate it. Right. So it's like, looking at all these testimonies and how many people are saying the same thing actually does count for something, even in our court systems. So like, it's not that this stuff has been debunked. It's, um, it's just a lie, right? Like saying that this has actually been debunked. So there's those daycare cases. There's the little rascals daycare case. Um, there's, um, quite a few cases. And then there's the Franklin cover up and the Franklin scandal, which if, you know, that's another time when, this stuff was really, really coming out. Like it really broke the seal. Uh, and it was just, you know, there was so much exposure, but again, this was just before the internet. So they were able to, um, like 
prevent documentaries from being shown on the mainstream networks of television. They were able to um, like hold withhold books from being printed. Like, you know, so they were still able to sort of, you know, patch up the holes in the bucket that was leaking through. So, um, you know, and then again, like the stuff that's come out in the last couple of years, there's another flood of stuff coming out that they really can't hide at this point. And so all they can really try to do at this point is connect all of these things in people's minds. And these people are highly manipulative and they're highly trained in techniques of how to like anchor things together, use key phrases, you know. Um, and so like what they're really doing is trying to tie some of the new stuff coming out with some of the old stuff and basically just put it all in one big bundle. So you just throw it all out together. And that's kind of the only thing they can do once they can't actually hide this stuff anymore. Right. So that's the technique they're using. I'll just break. I feel like I'm just talking really long sentences. No, this is good. Cause I mean, like how you were saying, even like neuro-linguistic programming, right? Like it's so unconscious how things are worded and like how language casts spells you know, that people don't even realize that they're under them. So I really appreciate you, you know, talking about some of this aspect of it. And, and you know, hopefully people that listen to this podcast understand the weaponization of, you know, words and uh, propaganda and how the media weaponizes things through like even what you said, repetition, you know, satanic panic, satanic panic, you know, terrorism, terrorism, like they use these nominalizations and just throw them at us 20 million times. And they really don't even mean anything until you know, it's, it's internalized so much as something we should be scared of. And so then society becomes scared of it, you know? So the satanic panic to me, that was, it was interesting. Um, just because like how we were saying, it was a point where people were concerned, like it was being given a platform. And then all of a sudden, you know, the news media, the, you know, programming, uh, the programming programming machines that we watched, like they transcribed it to, to, they weaponized it against us, you know, and created this ridiculous wording around it to make people be like, oh, that sounds so dumb. And like you said, if people just even took a little bit to do some research on it and like looked into it, like how so many people were disclosing, like, again, if, if somebody thinks logically, like, okay, none of these people knew each other and they're all coming forth and like saying these details that are so similar that they experienced, but yet they're all lying, you know, all of them, even though they never knew each other, like many of them had never heard each other's stories. Again, there wasn't even an internet, like you had to be on TV for somebody to like really corroborate a story. Right. And so that is what's interesting about it is like, you know, now we have the internet, which can help really elevate those stories and like get them heard in different places, you know? And so we have to be thinking about like, what is, you know, on their end, now they have more weapons too, to silence it, you know, by creating these, you know, crazy phases, whether they'll keep it satanic panic, or if they're going to rebrand it and like call it something else, you know, but just realizing that they're going to take something that actually is vile and disgusting and horrific and real and they're going to almost twist it so it's laughable to people, you know, and and we know if you even just look at some of these stories and like listen to them from actual survivors. And that's the other thing, like they pull you away from actual survivors, like how you were saying with, you know, this documentary, how they feature people that are involved that were against the people, but they don't actually go. They, there's no survivors on the whole show that they interview. They don't bring anybody on to like corroborate you know, Michelle's side of the story, it's all people that were on the outskirts looking in and had something to gain by keeping Michelle quiet. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, like this documentary in particular, it has the usual cast of characters like Elizabeth Loftus, uh, who we know from uh, the False Memory <laughs> Foundation, which, uh, you know, it's really time for people to also stop repeating stuff like the false memory syndrome, which is a completely fabricated thing that is made up that is not in the DSM, that has just been, you know, programmed into people's minds as being legitimate and part of, you know, uh, an actual, like, they make it sound like it's a diagnosis or something like, you know, they kind of just use these professional medicalized terms, you know, like false memory syndrome and stuff. And, you know, it's, it's completely uh, fabricated, the false memory society, which I know most of your viewers on this show are like very well aware that it was actually started by a number of pedophiles who were psychiatrists and that their own children were actually charging them with abuse. And in response to their own children, not just abuse, but ritualized abuse, um, you know, done with psychiatric methods, um, you know, deliberately, uh, you know, these people, you know, like the one person, JJ Freed, which I really recommend people familiarize yourself with her work because she's a, like an amazing human being whose uh, parents abused her. And then her parents, as well as some other, you know, people started the false memory um, society as kind of a, a legal loophole in order to basically try and have these like witness um, testimony experts that could come in and delegitimize in the legal system based on this fabricated research. And of course, they always have a team of people that stand together and all act like they believe the same thing to try and legitimize these theories when like a, a lot of it's just made, made up. Like, I mean, honestly, like if you look at some of the theories these people are putting forward, they're there's, they're not proven. There's no scientific method used. Like it's completely just them making something up that can't really be proven or disproven. And then all sitting there as a panel of experts agreeing that this is truth, right. And presenting it to people and people fall for it. And so, yeah, I really recommend that people look into JJ Freed's work because I really love her work. Um, she's, I, I believe she's a psychology professor. Um, but she also wrote about something called betrayal trauma. And so betrayal trauma is something that's utilized by cults um, with the other types of abuse they use. It's one of the main, um, you know, traumas they use for attachment disorders and, and things like that. Um, but JJ Freed also talks about like societal betrayal trauma, which is when you go to these organizations that are supposedly there, like the police or social workers or, you know, the court system or these things that are presented as um, being there to provide like a civil society. And when you're not believed or you're even persecuted, like Alicia Owens was, you know, out of the Franklin scandal, like she was put in jail for telling the truth about this, you know, um, and charged with perjury, like for telling the truth. And, you know, so these kind of things like is the betrayal trauma. And I believe as a society, we're all guilty of that. If we receive this information and do nothing, it's like a secondary trauma to survivors is to be vulnerable enough to speak the truth and then being not only rejected, but abused for for it as well is like, you know, so JJ Freed's work is really, um, you know, ties into all that stuff. So I really recommend that people check out her work. Um, and yeah, I mean, if, if people, like I said, you really just need to do your homework because there's all the information is available right now. Like if you really want to find out about the false memory society, which actually has been disbanded, um, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's actually not a legitimate, there is no legitimacy behind this at all. And so having these experts like Elizabeth Loftus, who they can pay to come to any trial and just, you know, delegitimize the witness based on her professional you know, research. It's like, it's really just a joke at this point. And I mean, these people are so arrogant. Like you see them in the documentary, 
with their kind of smirks on their face, like just kind of acting like, you know, uh, like people would be, you know, fools to believe any different than what they're saying, you know? And it's like, they really underestimate how intelligent people are and how many survivors are coming forward right now and how many people like me and you like are, uh, you know, taking in this information and integrating it and like, um, you know, and understanding it, like it's going to, these people have just gotten away with it for so long that they really think all they have to do is come and set up there as a group and say something's true. And like that people aren't going to actually see through it. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, there's some really weirdos in this documentary. If you see it, if, if you want, I can show some of those photos if you want to walk us through it. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, everybody says it's debunked and they look at this documentary. And first of all, I just want to say this documentary has Debbie Nathan who writes books. Like she's basically dedicated her whole career to writing books. Um, I think I had one of them here. Like she writes books like this, Debbie Nathan, she's, she's a professional debunker. And so what she does is she goes and writes books about like, um, you know, different cases. Like I think she debunked um, the Sybil story. I think she's working on this documentary now. She's, she wrote this one, Satan's Silence. Like, so basically what she does is basically it's her full-time job is to create literature in order to control the narrative of these cases that come out. And so whether people believe her or not, I just don't understand how any person, what their motivation would be to do that with their life. And even in the documentary, she's like, oh, we've done all this work and it's too bad that like people are accusing this stuff of happening again. But it's like, um, yeah, because this stuff is happening. And like, why would somebody dedicate their life to trying to discredit people that have come forward a bit? Uh, claiming abuse like I mean if you don't believe it you don't believe it but I just don't I think it's pretty obvious that these people have ulterior motives because what person would feel so passionate that they would dedicate their life to discrediting abuse victims like same with this police officer or ex-police officer like who's writing all these articles attempting to debunk Michelle remembers when it's like this person was actually a police officer that worked in child abuse investigations. And um, he likes to identify himself as a wizard. He's written books about himself um, for, you know, I think he has like orders, order of the Palladians, order of officers for Avalon. Um, you know, I mean, this just take one look at this person and his eyes, uh, his Sudoku eyes or whatever they're called. And, you know, it's like, you can look at this guy's Twitter too. Like he's just basically created this warlock uh, school of followers. And he basically just has all these one liners, you know? Um, and he, this is a person who could have been a real hero and actually been an advocate for children and child abuse. And I mean, has spent years working as an investigator for child abuse, but has dedicated his life to discrediting victims. So, I mean, I just don't know what motivation somebody would have to do that. Uh, like, I don't see why somebody's not providing a service by discrediting child abuse victims, like especially somebody who's tasked with who should have been an advocate and uh, for these people. Right. Like to me, this is all, you know, I'll just leave that that there for people to figure out for themselves. I really recommend to go check this guy out because I honestly think he's like probably the biggest goof I've ever found on the entire Internet. Like I he's just I, I mean, I think just people can really just. I think a picture is worth a thousand words. And I think anybody can take a look at this guy and wonder why he would take it upon himself to uh, discredit this book of uh, Michelle Remembers. 
That's such a good point because it's like the truth stands on its own. You know, if you know something is true, people who know that things are true don't spend their time actively just proving that it's not right. Otherwise, everybody would be doing something like that with their life. You know what I mean? Like that would be like a natural reaction for people if that was the case and people would gravitate towards just simply proving the, you know, what, what they want to say is the opposite of truth. False. You know, it's just like, it's a weird, unnatural reaction to things. I feel like when we know something is true, like we focus on what's true. Like we go after, if we, if we believe in, you know, that child abuse is bad, then we stand against it. Like we go and say, it's true that child abuse is bad. And I'm going to, you know, be an advocate for survivors. Like it's just a very weird pull in my opinion to be so anti something that you're supposedly so pro if that makes sense yes 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 to me this is just like and I know these people just probably would love to try and sue for libel so I'm not gonna like make any statements about this person but I just really encourage people to go look at this person yourself and draw your own conclusions because like I said I think a picture's worth a thousand words and it's pretty clear that this guy is not an advocate for children um I think uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think uh, this being the person that's discrediting uh, satanic ritual abuse is just, I'll just call it a red flag and just, um, and if people, uh, I put the links uh, below for um, a show I did with Shane Jones on inquiries of our reality about um, false power. And I, I really go into a lot about police officers on that one. And I really recommend that people listen to that one from me. It's one of my, uh, one of my favorite podcasts I did. And um it not only talks about like the psychology of police officers, but like um, it also um, there's links in that podcast also about some of the um, like officers in Vancouver, BC, which is close to where Kerr is from and um, where I believe he worked. And so like you can research some of this about the Picton farm in Canada, which is like a whole nother show. Um, but uh, the Picton farm and then also some of the uh, there was another police investigator in Vancouver. I think his name was James Fisher. He was charged with sexual assault. Um, I linked a bunch of cases of police. Like one of them was like keeping their own son chained in the basement. Like there was just a whole bunch of actual news articles, like showing, you know, like that these people, just because we we've been programmed to believe that they're heroes and they're there to protect us and stuff like that's not the reality. And I think at this time in history, we really need to break through that programming of looking at authority figures and how much we've been programmed to believe these people, whether it's experts, whether it's police officers, you know, even people, like I said, I've worked in a lot of social service agencies and it was something really hard that I learned is how evil some of these people are that work behind the the shield of these helping professions, like where these people are completely psychopathic, narcissistic, like um, heartless people, but like they, part of their cover and, and also, um, you know, they, they like overcompensating or like being seen as a do-gooder. And so, you know, I've worked in a lot of these agencies and I assumed everyone else there really wanted to make a difference. And there's definitely those people there, but kind of the higher you go up, you really start to realize that that's just really a, you know, a, you know, an illusion. Like there's really dark people that are drawn into these professions. And it's like, we, we really, I think at this time, and this is why I love citizen journalism. That's why I love your show, Emma is like, it's just real people being real. And I think that's so much more powerful than this kind of like 
professionalism and authority figures that we've been programmed into, you know, where people present things in a really pristine, you know, intelligent sounding way, but it's just total BS. Like, you know what I mean? Like we need to just really like, look at these people. You know what I mean? Like even in the documentary, Debbie Nathan, you know, she's wearing earrings with a pedophile symbol on them. And it looks like there's a little tiny devil sitting on the back of her stack of books in the background. Like it's, um, you know, like, yeah, everybody, you guys need to see this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, and yes, this documentary, they basically went and got Dr. Pazder's ex-wife, who is obviously embittered. Um, and I'm not saying she doesn't have a right to be like, I mean, he, yes, her husband did leave her and Mary Michelle. And I'm, I'm, she has every right to be, uh, you know, legitimately hurt by that. But at the same time, I mean, using this person as some type of evidence in a documentary to debunk something, it's like this person has no evidence to provide. Like, and they also have a motive to, um, you know, they have a motive to want to to hurt, you know, Michelle or Dr. Pazder. Like, it's it's pretty obvious that this person uh, was extremely hurt by them and and would have an agenda to, you know, <laughs> like. It's really obvious in this documentary. And honestly, they don't actually present any like facts or evidence. It's basically just people sitting around as experts, you know, saying that this story is not legitimate when that's not true. And um, I just want to say like, Michelle is actually still alive. And um, I just want to say like, Michelle, if you're out there, I just want to say thank you. Um, and I believe you. And, you know, thank you for everything you've been through and that you've done. And, um, you know, there are people that believe you and there are people that support you. And this book actually affected a lot of people and still does to today. And I can only imagine like how hard it must be for you to have to have this all brought up again in this documentary made against you, you know, um, in your later years. Like, uh, I just want to say for the record that there are people out there who know about this stuff that do care. And there is an army of people being built and they're not going to be able to stop it. Like these people have actually just gotten away with it because of people's ignorance and apathy and cowardice really to not want to know the truth. But the truth is available for anybody that actually wants to do their research. Like there's so many pages now. I recommend people look at all the videos on your page, Emma. It's an amazing resource for people that aren't, that want to hear other people saying their stories. You know, like, like there's a lot of people don't know how many survivors have actually come forward at this time and are telling their stories. There's so many testimonies available online. Um, there's also like just so much, um, you know, you can look at the smart ritual abuse places or the international, um, society for the study of dissociation, or you can go on Amazon and put in the book section, uh, satanic ritual abuse or multiple personality disorder or dissociative identity disorder or um you know there's so many survivors have written books in like the last 10 years even like there's hundreds of books there so if anybody really wants to research this stuff like you're just gonna have to actually go and look at the information instead of being lazy and trusting these experts a hundred percent and i love how you said that about just who we're programmed to trust you know it's like we, we do. And that's, that's where even titles get in the way of our opinions of people. We assume that, oh, well, this person graduated from Yale, even though they were in the skull and bones. We don't know that. <laughs> like people don't even know that stuff like that exists on the campus that these people are on. Right. 
So we're like, oh, like you went to Yale, you're a lawyer, like you're somebody that I can respect just based off that. Like, I don't need to know anything else about you. I just know that you deserve my respect. You deserve my money. You deserve everything in society. And to put at the very tippy top of, you know, the the power structure in my city or town just because of your degree, where you went to school, how much money you make and your titles, right? And I love that. I love like your humility with that and how humble you are with like, I don't want to talk about myself. Like it's not about the titles. It's about the information. Like that is it. Like we should be asking everybody what information they have and to like ask people to prove who they are instead of just saying, well, just because you have this title that this corrupt university um, awarded you with on a little paper certificate must mean that you're this great person, especially listening to these testimonies. Cause not a hundred percent of the time, but the majority of the time that I've had an interview on here, the person's parent was a prestigious member of society, one or both of them. They were people yeah. with these titles. They were doctors. They were lawyers. They were medical professionals. They were, mm-hmm. you know, law enforcement, whatever it is, you know, like we're so fooled by that to think this person's good because of this, you know, and these narratives, like stripping that down and saying, forget all the titles, like what, what's in the person's heart? How do their eyes look whenever they talk? Like, what is the information that they're saying? You know, does it right. resonate truth in your heart? And and it does. Like when you hear truth, you know, some of the, the biggest truth tellers have, you know, 50 followers on Instagram. Like they're not mm-hmm. millions and their, their accounts are constantly being deleted. And, you know, they're, they're not considered somebody that's put on a pedestal because of a title, but the information that they have supersedes anything that you could ever hear from any lawyer or doctor. Right. And so that yeah. is like, such an important part of this is to like really go inside and say like, even if I didn't go through these horrors that that some of these people did that are testifying, you know, and, and about satanic ritual abuse or like Michelle's story, how have I been programmed? Like, what was the, you know, cascade effect of how they've implemented this on a global scale? And what things in my life am I worshiping or just even putting on a pedestal somehow and not asking or looking for the information behind it? You know, and you're such a powerful like reminder of all of that with this, because that's such a big part of it, you know, and it's hard. Like that's a hard thing to like pull pull the veil away and be like, what? Then who can I trust if like all these people I'm supposed to trust, I can't trust, you know? And it's like we're developing like a new way, you know, we're getting information from people, learning how to heal naturally. Like we're we need to learn how to like get by without these corrupt institutions controlling everything and like idolizing it and saying, Oh, well. I can't heal my body. I need a doctor, even if it's just for a cold, like I have to go to the doctor. Do you, or could you like get some holistic stuff, maybe rest, get some sleep and like heal yourself. Right. It's like, we need to really just fish around just for information in general and like refigure out who we are and like how to navigate this world that we live in. Otherwise, like we're constantly worshiping false idols and, you know, looking at things so distorted just because of the language used. Yeah. And a lot of these people like just get honorary degrees. And I think even Rachel Vaughn mentioned in her interview, like how she wasn't even qualified to go into certain programs and they just put her in. And like, there was also the university scandal that was, uh, you know, in the States a little while back where they were doing fraudulent degrees, or I can't remember the names of the people or whatever, but I, I think people know what I'm talking about. But I mean, I think it's just been exposed, like how much of this, you know, these titles behind people's names, like, 
is, you know, it's just a way it's, it's just, it's just sorcery. Like, it's just, it's just like casting a spell on you that, that what they say is legitimate. And like, if you really look, you know, especially at the false memory society and like, look at Elizabeth Loftus's, um, you know, theories, like, I mean, some of the stuff they're asking you to believe is just ridiculous. Like, um, you know, like saying that, you know, it's all these evil counselors who just have nothing else to do, but get off on getting patients that they can suck money out of and giving them false memories of satanic rituals. Like, I don't see what kind of person like that would go into the counseling field. Like, I mean, it, it's, I, I, I like to think that people who go into counseling are not people who are obsessed with wanting their clients to have satanic memories. Like that just is such a ridiculous thing that they're expecting you to believe. But at the same time, they're revealing themselves when they talk about this stuff, because if you watch in the documentary, um, Elizabeth Loftus is talking about how, you know, people can be sort of um, suggestible. And then if you reinforce and they start telling you what you want to hear and stuff. And yes, that's a real thing. We see this played out with children right now, you know, how they're being confused and then becoming what people want them to be with reinforcement. And so like, they're telling you right there, they can do that. Another thing about Elizabeth Loftus's uh, research is that um, she, she acts as though one thing negates another. And so People that have studied uh, programming at MKUltra and uh, like I've taken my hypnotherapy and stuff like that too, because I've really like, I don't think you can really understand the programming if you don't understand the subconscious mind. Um, And so like with the, like basically what she's saying is, is just because they can implant things. um, It doesn't mean that the things coming out are implanted. Like is that's a double, that's a mind, mind, you know, trick. Um, So Yes, with survivors, obviously, and with hypnosis, like things actually can be implanted and taken as uh, a false belief, right? But, you know, when when people are coming forward with satanic ritual abuse and 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 trauma, I mean, there's there's body memories, there's ab reaction, which is a reenactment in the body, like, you know, like in the Michelle Remembers tapes, there's like, she screamed for 25 minutes before she was able to, you know, start getting some of this stuff out of her system. Like, that is not a false memory right? Like, a, like there's actually no such thing as a false memory because if it's false, it's actually not a memory. It's just a false suggestion being uh, perceived as a memory. Um, and so like all of this kind of mind uh, word twisting they're using, like they're literally telling you what they're doing, but like trying to project it onto these like people that are trying to help them. Right. And so they're trying to kind of like persecute counselors trying to help with them. And then making it so that counselors are even scared to like ask about it because they're like, Oh, if you even suggest anything, like you're implanting stuff into their mind and it just doesn't really work that way. And I think that's actually a really ridiculous thing they're expecting us to believe. And if anybody really goes in and researches the subconscious mind, um, you know, I think that will help people to understand how this Michelle remembers book is not, this is not a literal transcript of events. This is a little girl's perception of her trauma in a five-year-old's mind when these cults specifically do things like this all the time so that when people tell things, they seem unbelievable, impossible, ridiculous. Um, This is one of their main MOs that they always do with programming is because the subconscious mind is literal. It doesn't decide if things are good or bad or um, right or wrong or true or not. Like the subconscious mind is a tape recorder. And so programming takes place on the subconscious level. And that's why people can believe contradictory things and things that are not true because it doesn't actually analyze or judge anything. It just goes in like a recorder. And this is how programming is done. And so um, 
the subconscious mind will always make itself right. The ego will always make itself right. And so if you read actually Laura Wardley's book, she actually goes over this quite a bit um, about how like the subconscious mind actually believes its actual physical structures, even though that's physically impossible, the subconscious mind doesn't analyze that. It actually believes the structures within the person, like the, the trees and stuff like that she talks about in her books. Um, and so when you read this book about Michelle Remembers, if you can keep that in mind, like there's nothing in this book that is um, out of line with the other literature of other survivors that have come forward. It's actually a very standard set of abuses that cults have used for a long time, which is, you know, death and rebirth rituals, um, you know, snakes and spiders, uh, you know, all these kind of things in the book are actually really common uh torture and ritual techniques used by most cults, it's pretty standardized. And so um, if you read the other literature in the field and other people's books, you'll see that really this is um, absolutely trauma-based mind control and satanic ritual abuse. And for people that don't understand what that is, like um, people also in this Michelle Remembers book, they get really caught up in the religious side of it because she believes she was having conversations with Satan and that she was seeing apparitions of Mother Mary. and. Um, people want to try and analyze that forensically and say, well, that can't be true if they don't believe in religion or uh, if they don't believe in Satan, then they're thinking the list book can't be true. But what I'll say is um, it doesn't matter if you believe that or not, or if it's even true or not, because what this book is showing is that this little girl experienced that. And if you understand trauma and the subconscious mind, it's actually very common for children to use their imagination to imagine people under trauma talking to them or you know have internal worlds and you know um like having different altars and entities and like this stuff is very common like they know the child's imagination will generate these experiences for the child and if a child is drugged or dissociated from extreme trauma like this is very textbook stuff like there's nothing in this book that doesn't make sense if you actually understand trauma-based mind control and um, satanic ritual abuse. So I, I just, I think people get really caught up on, oh, you know, this was about like actual religious stuff, which it, it may or it may not be either way. That doesn't negate what, the, what happened to this girl in the book and the way she perceived it. Yes. I always say it doesn't matter what you believe just because you don't believe something doesn't mean that a million other people don't believe it too. You know, that like there aren't people out there that actually do believe that and would act on these beliefs. Right. And it's like, even if only 1% of all of, even if only 1% of Michelle remembers is true, that should terrify the world. If even 1% of what she said is true and that she documented in there. Right. And it's like, even if 1% of all of this is true, that should be enough to get people up and be like, how do we stop this? This is awful, right? Like 1% of it is still absolutely horrific. And people, like you said, they just, they want to take things very literally instead of considering the context, which goes back to education, right? Because this stuff isn't even taught. So even the people that they have like forensically examine it, the therapists and police officers, like they aren't taught about this stuff in depth other than maybe, you know, a little paragraph here going over it, but not going in depth and like actually learning like you said, how the right brain, left brain works, like how, how these memories express themselves um, about alters and how they can be all different ages and have, you know, all different perspectives and have had totally different experiences if they were drugged or, or whatever, you know, traumatized, mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know? So like being able to understand that is something that society isn't able to do yet, even people in the medical field. So it can be very hard 
to get these stories legitimized through the public eye, just because exactly what you were saying, it's so twisted, like how we're taught to look at information, you know, they leave, especially like spirituality is like all but stripped out of what we're taught. We are what we're taught. Our world is like, we're taught. So like black, white, you know, physical proof that you can see that's tangible, you know, and that there has to be like a certain protocol in order for something to be true, you know, but that's, it's brilliant what you said about, you know, the brain not knowing if, if, you know, it doesn't know the difference between imagination and reality, the unconscious mind doesn't. So when we're not, when we're failing to realize that, and like, we're reading these horrible things and saying, well, that's too crazy. Like there's nothing in the world that could be like that. Well, is that true? Or is there actually people who do believe it because of the trauma that they've gone through and how it's affected them and how it's carried down generationally? And their intent is to continue carrying it down generationally because they know things that we don't, you know, it's so inverted how like, how twisted they make this information so people don't look into it and like how unabashedly uneducated society is on trauma and like what our body can actually do, what it's capable of and like how we heal, how we store trauma, how disease, you know, forms in our body. Like it's just, it's really sad that we can't comprehend stuff because we're so ignorant, you know? Yeah. And you know, like uh, this Kerr guy's laughing at little Michelle, five years old, seeing an apparition of mother Mary when like, I mean, that, a lot of children in trauma or people that have near-death experiences, like it's a very common uh, experience, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. It's a common experience, right? And so for somebody who identifies as a warlock and a wizard, like I'm really surprised that they wouldn't actually understand like that part of the subconscious mind or interdimensional parts of the psyche that could, you know, like this stuff's really common. Um, And so yeah, I just, you know, this book's really, um, you know, like you, you, you do have to read it just, you know, like as though a little five-year-old is telling you stories, right? Like it, it's, it's really just, you have to not um, try and negate everything out of it. Um, and I think that's really what they try to do uh, to sort of debunk it. And like, it's, it's never been debunked, um, you know, and I would say if anything, it's been corroborated by like, all of the survivors that have come out like since the eighties, um, there's been tons and tons more. Um, I wouldn't mind just showing a couple of books if I could for people. So this is another, is it showing up the right way? It looks backwards on my screen. Yep. It's on the right way for me. Okay. So this is another book that's actually really similar to Michelle remembers that I, I would also highly recommend it's, it's really kind of shows like the similarity between the way that like this, this whole phenomena phenomena. Um, I, I don't think this book has been as discredited, but I mean this, I think just, this is a really, another really good one that I think, um, people should check out for sure. It's kind of a classic. Um, called and then Suffer the Child. Suffer the Child by Judith Spencer. Um, this was one of the first books I read on multiple personality uh, was When Rabbit Howls, the Trudy Chase story. Um, and she was, you know, featured on Oprah and stuff. And they, you know, she was abused by her stepfather on a farm, like really, really young. Um, but I think also, like, if you really were to look in this story even deeper, I, it seems like, pretty professional techniques being used, you know, and I would say that for the Sybil book as well, like, um, you know, it seems just like they like to kind of write these books about like, oh, just this abusive mother or father doing this stuff. But, 
anybody that understands how these cults work or even the CIA programs, like they teach the parents how to specifically do the traumas and they're very specific. Like I call ritual abuse strategic abuse because it's applied scientific method of abuse at specific developmental ages that have a very specific scientific outcome. And so when you see the types of abuses these parents are doing on their children, to me, I'm like, no, like this, this is, this is too professional. Like it's not just abuse, you know, that's coming out of nowhere. Like it's like, these are techniques being used. Um, and that's just something to watch for when you're kind of reading some of these books. Um, another book that came out around the same time that they really try to debunk, um, is Satan's underground by Laura Stratford. Um, and again, like, you know, when these survivors write books, like the way a, a person has a fragmented mind and pieces start to come together and they don't all fit in their logical line. It's like puzzle pieces coming together, even to the person experiencing it. And so when somebody writes a very disjointed book, to me, that's really evidence of their multiplicity and disjointed, uh, you know, way their mind is. It's, it doesn't negate the truth of it. Like I said, like even Alyssa E's books were written in a very kind of like, you had to be able to read it just with like going with it, right? Because it's not going to make logical sense in a line. And that's really one of the ways they try to discredit books, um, which is, if anything, it's evidence is the way that these books are um, written. And like I said, I, I have a lawyer friend and he said, like, when people get testimony in court if they all give the exact same story and it's a perfect story with all the details and a perfect thing that actually looks suspicious as lying like he's like normally if people are giving testimony like it's a little bit off and like the stories don't quite match up and that's actually very normal but when there's like a perfect story being given it's like suspicious and like if you look at this documentary and their perfect story they're giving is like it's just like another red flag of like, no, this is a constructed story, right? Um, okay, so again, another thing that, you know, after this uh, story came out in Victoria, BC, Canada in the 80s, you know, there, you know, people kind of act like it was an independent event. But um, some of the survivors that I've read, there's actually been other people even from Victoria. Um, and I included links to put below um, of Trish Fotheringham. So Trist Fotheringham was also taken into programs. I think she had military programming as well in Victoria, BC and um, Masonic stuff in, in there. Like, um, you know, so, I mean, it's a very well organized city. Like I sent you uh, quite a few pictures that we can maybe go over another time. Um, but there, I mean, this city is very uh, owned, let's just say. Um, and then. So anyways, I really recommend people look up Trish Fotheringham's um, the, uh, YouTube page and there's quite a few articles of her online and then she's included in other people's books as well. If you kind of just research, if, if that would help people to corroborate that it's not just Michelle that even said this about Victoria. Uh, another person, which I believe Carrie Olahe, is that how you pronounce it? She, yeah. I think she mentioned this book as well. There was two books. I don't have the other one here. I lent it out, but um, Alison Miller, which you don't want to confuse with Alice Miller, who also wrote books. Alice Miller's books are really good too, but this is a different person that I always mix up. Um, so Alison Miller was a um, PhD psychologist in Victoria, BC, uh, doing work with ritually abused people um, in great number. It, you know, like this isn't just an independent event. Um, and she wrote two books, um, one for counselors and one for uh, survivors. Really recommend these books. Um, but yeah, just to add legitimacy to the story, this is an actual like PhD psychotherapist in Victoria, BC, who wrote two huge textbooks. If people want to do the work to research, 
instead of, you know, if they can't believe a little five-year-old girl's trauma memories, like maybe they would believe a PhD psychologist, um, you know, explaining these things very scientifically in this book. And so that's something else. If people want evidence, they should read these books. Um, and then another good book that I put the link in is just a really simple book about ritual abuse. This is a really simple book that you could give to anybody that just kind of gives you like a really brief this isn't like deep psychotherapy or anything like that so this is like a really kind of like this could be something you could just give to a friend of a survivor or you know it's just really simple kind of stuff that you want to know about um ritual abuse so this is a, a really good book for beginners um another person who was a client of Alison Miller and Victoria BC is Wendy Hoffman I don't know if she's super famous but her books are really good because She's also was programmed in the 50s. Um, and so like her book's kind of just historically interesting because of her age, like some of the different programs, like kind of the original programming that's gone on before all the new technology now. Um, and then she wrote another book with Elsa Miller as well, which I don't have, but um, definitely check this out. She just does a really thorough job of showing um, like a lot of what they were doing and why they were doing it like with you know how they're creating like ribbon programming and like displacing anger and like she really goes a lot into that for if people want to have a better understanding of you know kind of how this stuff works um another really good book on memory which i would recommend instead of listening to elizabeth loftus is Eleanor Turr. She did a very scientific um, like bunch of research on memory and witness testimony and like um, all the kind of stuff that Elizabeth Loftus talks about. Um, the, but this uh, book is um, way better. I recommend people read this. There's a lot of case studies like, about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would, I would say like, just check this out. Um, I think she actually mentions some of Elizabeth Loftus's research in here. But um, it's, it's a very neutral book. This lady really just like, she's very scientific method, like very just looking at facts. Um, so that just might be an entry book if you want to check out. Um, and of course, I just always recommend these little books by Spelly because they're so concise and like just pamphlets like that are just so... Um, just really break it down in a way and also you know for people that don't believe the Michelle Remembers book I mean if you read Spally's books and how she's talking about the programming that they do on children and how they do it and why they do it and, and exactly what they're doing then all of a sudden everything Michelle's talking about in her book makes perfect sense so I mean these really support a lot of the different things that Michelle said she went through um what's the last one Oh yeah. I just wanted to point out this book. Like I ordered this off Amazon and this book is another really good example of how they have these professional authors who basically have a full-time job writing debunking articles and writing debunking books. And, you know, I thought this book was going to be an encyclopedia of SRA and that it, this would really be a great thing to add to my collection. And when I started reading it, it was completely slanted. Everything was um, attempting to debunk it and say it wasn't true. And, you know, it's like, but they, but anyways, this is the thing is everything they try to use for evil, we can use it for good because it actually shows you all the cases that you should go do your own research on instead of just taking their cover story that they put in this book. But it is a nice collection. Like this is all stuff you need to know, but just don't get it from this book, right? Like, and so it's the same with Debbie Nason's literature. And it's the same with this documentary. I mean, they... The fact that they even just made this, and I believe they really just waited till Lawrence Pazder died and couldn't defend himself. Um, they they go back and, you know, they're trying to connect 
all of this satanic panic and Michelle remembers they're trying to connect it to like QAnon and um, Pizzagate and stuff like that because they're just again they're trying to just make a big ball and just throw it out all all together um, but really what they're doing is drawing attention to this again and like now it's now is the time where people have the ability to actually like look into this on their own, read some books, watch your channel, look up some of these other survivors. Like, you know, this, as far as I'm concerned, Michelle remembers, like has been corroborated so many times by so many other survivors that like, you know, the fact that they're bringing attention to it again is really just going to work in reverse for them. Because I think in hindsight, we're going to realize like how really textbook the stuff that Michelle is talking about, like this is standard procedure for SRA, you know? And how textbook their, you know, uh, defense is against what's what's being presented, you know, publicly. People are starting to look at, you know, survivors. Like, it's always the same methods to debunk and delegitimize. You know, there's always that campaign. And like you said, it's the same little echo chamber coming out and, and you know, verifying and, and crediting each other. But if you look like it doesn't go beyond that, you know, even like in that documentary, like not bringing a single survivor on there to like even tell the other side of the story and like just bringing people on that are, you know, almost against the story because there was some way that like it impacted them negatively, you know, and they're focusing on like the the love story between them and not like the story. Right. It's like they get people to hate them based off our emotions they yes. get our emotions so involved that we forget about the facts. And we're just like, oh my gosh, like his poor wife. Like, I can't believe that he'd do that to her. And like this other, you know, Michelle was married and like her poor husband, like these are two horrible people. And so they get us like all in our feels because they're presenting us like the ex-wife who like they try to get us to like. And then we end up empathizing with her and being like, oh, well, she's right. Like he's not a good person. Instead of being like, wait, let's take our emotions out. Like, let's just lay the facts out. And let's look at both sides factually, you know, and it, I think it did such a disservice, like not shining a light on the other side, and like letting listeners hear both sides. Of course, we know why, right? Nobody would listen to them if they heard the other side of the story being there to, to testify. But like, you know, going back to what you were saying, like the playbook is always the same, how they show up and there's a campaign against it, which is so silly. Cause like how we were talking about in the beginning, like who just gets up and is like, that's not true. Like, I'm going to go advocate against this because why not? Like, I'm just going to go devote my whole life to like, you know, anti uh, people that are trying, you know, anti survivors. Like, I'm just going to go negate it. Like if they're not telling the truth, like when somebody doesn't tell the truth about me, I just like brush it off. I'm not like, oh my gosh, like I have to go prove myself. You know, it's just such a weird reaction. Like it's so unnatural if people actually like reverse engineer it. <laughs> Yeah. And I think it, it, it really is like, I, I feel like these people have just actually made evidence of themselves on tape outing who they really are and what they're really doing and who they're connected with. Like they literally had Blanche Barton from the church of Satan come on. And so like, if people are going to believe Satanists telling you that the satanic ritual abuse has been debunked and you're going to believe like, it, it's so ridiculous that, and they're so arrogant and they really underestimate the intelligence of people um, you know, like to come on and just debunk it. Like it's, it's so ridiculous. If anybody looks into who these people actually are and what their agendas are and who they're connected to. And I think just even Kerr coming on, like, you know, because he had written those articles trying to debunk Michelle remembers like in the past. And I think he may have tried to scrub it, but we found it anyways. And we've screenshotted actually all of his videos and we have the complete database on all of his stuff. So whatever he scrubs offline, it's fine. He can try and 
hot if you want, but, um, you know, basically it's like all of this stuff, uh, you know, him coming out on this documentary is pretty obvious that he's not an advocate for children. And it's really scary to me that 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 was somebody's job, like to investigate child abuse. Like, I I mean, like, I don't know what this person has watched as part of their job. Like, you know, like what they've had, what kind of material they've had to review and look at, like, I don't know what happened to this person, but when I see this documentary, I just see like really damaged little children like that's really how I see this group of people coming on. And it's just like, why would these people even want to do this at all? Like what motivation would they have to even care? Like you said, if it, if it wasn't true and it was just some crazy lady, like why would they even care? Like, why would they go out of their way to make a documentary and like try to, you know, construct, like you said, this really emotional argument where they're just slanting and like they just are sitting there with their smirky faces like acting condescending like oh who would believe this but like they're actually not presenting any evidence like they're just kind of like it's all hearsay Michelle was not able to like she of course they said oh she declined well of course she's going to decline when you're you have a satanist making a documentary about how she's lying you think she's going to come on the show like she's already written her book she's already like done her part she's like you know she doesn't need to keep fighting this for the rest of her life. Like she should be allowed to live in peace and not have this type. This is really abusive to make this documentary about her, you know, years later. Yes. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And so that just goes to show that like there's stuff getting out still, you know, even about this story that was, you know, decades ago that it was mainstream and they're still trying to debunk it. Like, it's just so silly. Like whenever you really think about stuff, you know, you don't want to laugh about it in the sense of like, there actually was violence that happened and people that were hurt, but like the silliness of how it's combated and like how it's just this back and forth with the media and then society and like how, like you said, manipulative these systems are to where they literally like get people in chokeholds and like get them to look away from the truth before even like investigating. Like they've turned off people's critical thinking skills so much that people like don't even go investigate. They just, they, they get their heart broken listening to a story like this and their minds made up because they're, they're emotional about it, you know? So like the, the work that you're doing, like investigating these cases and like exposing them and showing that other side, you know, cause like Michelle isn't out there, like, you know, giving her testimony and she shouldn't have to, like, like you said, she spent years doing that and then was humiliated, you know, and, and sort of like shoved back in a hole in a sense after the whole satanic panic thing happened. You know, so it's like it is out there. She did. She paved the way. She did a lot of work. The therapist that she was with also, you know, but like without people advocating and like being out there, like you're giving her a voice and in turn, like you're giving every survivor a voice that has been, you know, shut up or discredited or censored, you know, or even humiliated and embarrassed back into silence. You know, like you're helping present this information on a big picture level, talking about what happened decades ago, and then really applying it to like what we're seeing today. And, you know, the bottom line is it's still happening. And like, we need to care. Yeah. And I I mean, like, it's, it's, there's spiritual things happening that these people have no control over, and they can grasp for the little bit of control. And you can, this is what I see this documentary is just grasping for like this little bit of control. And it's really sad to me. Like the people in this documentary are like in their sixties and it's like, you know, like it, it's like they, that's going to be their legacy. Like that they just made this, uh, you know, evidence and recorded themselves, uh, you know, and, and who, who they are and 
you know, what they're doing. And it's, it's, it's just so sad to me that like, you know, like, um, that's what they've done with their life and they're, they're older now. And it's like, they're going to, they're doing this even in their later, later years. Like, it's just so sad to me that they're going to, that they wasted their life on this and that they're going to go out and that's that their legacy is going to be this crop that they made before they left, you know, like, um, and yeah, there is spiritual stuff happening that they're not in control of and, you know, they can grasp for whatever straws, but you know, like your show and, you know, so many survivors are able to come forward now. And there's so many testimonies and it's just like dominoes. It's like a wave, like the more that comes forward the more other ones come forward and like that's why even this show like there's people watching it today and like I just want to say to people like there are people who care and there are people who believe you and like there are people who want help and they're like um you know like and that number of people is growing you know what I mean and um like there's so many people that have given testimony on your show um, there's so many people that have written books. Like I said, go on Amazon. There's tons of books. Like 10 years ago, there was only like a couple of books that you had to download off the internet, you know? And now it's like, you can literally go on Amazon and there's like sections of hundreds of books people have written. You know what I mean? Like, and these people can't stop that. They're basically depending on your ignorance, your apathy and your cowardice. You don't want to know, you won't do the work to look and you just don't care. And that's what they're really playing on and counting on. And like I said, like, um, they have nothing when it comes to the heart energy. Like, I mean, even if we don't have all these like titles or like, you know, not members of like Menza or something, but like, I mean, like the heart energy is so much stronger and you can see like these people don't have that. Like there is no light in their eyes there. There's an intelligence in the heart and the love. And like, it's something they can't even touch. They can't even access. And like, there's so much going on right now. And I think we're actually just seeing the tip of it before there's going to be like a bursting through. Like, I just kind of see like, like as a metaphor, like just, you know, like it building, you know what I mean? And I feel like it's going to break and there's just going to be like undeniable, you know, so much evidence. And there, there already really is if people do the work to look, but, um, this is, um, you know, God wants this exposed and he just needs people to help exposing it. And everybody can do something, even if it's just having an open mind and being willing to read one book or listen to one survivor's testimony, or, you know, like everybody can do something and it will matter. Yes, 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 yes. I always say that because a lot of, and you probably get asked this too by some people, but people are like so desperate to want to do something. And they're like, I have kids, like I work, like, I don't know what I can do, but I want to do something. And it can be just as simple as that. Like, well, if you have an hour during your day, like go buy a survivor book and read it, you know, go listen to the podcast while you're taking your kids to school or like on your way home, you know, like there's so many ways that we can be proactive and it doesn't have to be, you know, devoting all this time necessarily. Like that is, I mean, it's hard for me to do. I'm sure it's hard for you to do too. Like some days I'm exhausted trying to fit like a full-time job plus some and podcasting and, you know, it's, it can be really hard. So I totally get that. Um, you know, but there's some, there's always something that we can do, you know, there's books that, like you said, like, go get that one book that Jamie suggested and, you know, go hand it off to a friend. Like that's something so easy. You don't even have to say anything. Just say, Hey, I want to give this to you. If you can read it, that would be awesome. And then we can talk about it. You know, like that's something that, that you can do that doesn't, you know, it's, it's really inexpensive and it doesn't really take any of your time. Like you're handing something off to people, you know, and, and that it is really encouraging hearing that, like you have been, you know, you've researched a lot. Like that is hopeful. I hope people get hope out of what you said that like the dam's building, you know, and like they're coming out with these smear campaigns because they can't hold it back. You know, like they see the stick starting to break and the water starting to, to drip through. 
And they know too that it's only a amount of time before the dam just completely explodes and everything just topples over and it's it's nobody can say anymore there's not water behind the dam, right? And so that is really encouraging. And like I hope people look at that in an encouraging way and not think, oh no, like the satanic panic stuff again. Like that was made to 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 put fear into you and like don't let it do that again. You know, let it encourage you to know that they only do that when they feel threatened and when things uh-huh. start out and when the the and when the truth starts to get too loud, you know that's when they start to weaponize these other you know NLP tactics and uh, you know just the just the standard playbook of discreditation for survivors. So Jamie, you're just such a bright light. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about with this case, or anything else that you wanted to go over today? Um, no, I think that's a really good place. Just uh, like I said, I kind of wanted to start from a beginner level because I know a lot of people believe this book's been discredited and they don't really give it a second thought. And I think this is just, I think we did a good job of just basically offering some things that people can go research on their own and to maybe consider and to maybe just even read this book again. It's it's available online for free. And if you get like, you can read it, it's anybody can reread this book and just read it with new eyes and just read it in context of everything else that's come forward and just don't be so quick to believe these people look into who these people are trying to discredit it look into some of their work and how they like use each other to like uh to to quote each other in each other's works as though they like legitimize each other like these kind of tactics um you know i think just uh yeah people um if they can just look at some of the links below look at some of the books that i showed and listen to other survivors on your show you have like uh tons of people on your channels like you know listen to one or two other stories and see if this stuff starts to actually make sense when other people explain it to you another way like you know what i mean like i think um it's really right now uh, anybody that's listened to this podcast, like now it's your responsibility of what you're going to do with it. Like you've actually been given different information now. So like, if you want to just disregard it and go back to your life, you're going to have the consequences of that. And if you want to take this and do something good with it, then you're responsible for that too. And so everybody's been given that opportunity. There's, there's more than enough information here and in the notes for somebody to actually go and find out the truth, do your own truth seeking. And, um, yeah, I think that's like a really good place just to end it off. Where can people find, say, your interviews or anything? Is it best just for people to Google your name and then those sort of populate? Or how can people keep in touch with you? Yeah, if you Google my name, Jamie J, and sometimes if you put like SRA or Satanic Ritual Abuse behind it, like you'll get some more podcasts relevant to this topic because I've done, I have at least, I think there's close to 60 podcasts out there for me. I don't have them all in one place yet. I'm still working on that. But definitely if you dig around, especially if you you put uh, ritual abuse in the topics, like you'll kind of get ones that I've done on those shows. And we're going to link some stuff below. So that's a place you can start. And then I'll start coming up in the algorithm too. So it's kind of the best I can do for now. Um, but um, yeah, just Google the name. And that's pretty much the only way to find me now. <laughs> Well, I want you to come on and I want you to be a regular and there's so many things that like we could talk about. So I really appreciate you coming on and shining a light on this. This was a light shine in my life too. Cause like I said, it showed me details about something that I hadn't heard of, you know, and this is like a huge case and I can't believe like if I didn't hear of it, I know a lot of people on the other side didn't, you know, and, and it's a huge resource. And to me, it's somebody that we can always think about when we feel, you know, like, oh my gosh, like 
there's nothing to push for. You know, it's like, think about Michelle, like let's, let's remember her, you know, and what we do and like, let's honor the work that she put in for so many years before, you know, the satanic panic narrative came and like, you know, pushed a lot of her work back. Like let's, let's let her motivate us sometimes whenever we don't feel like it, she can be sort of a muse, I think for some people. And even just for survivors to get courage, you know, like there wasn't really anybody that did that before her on that scale, you know, and so like how amazing that all of these heroes today are able to have a voice and that like, you know, people like you and I are advocating for survivors. And it's because people like Michelle came out and like laid the groundwork for that to exist and like started implanting, you know, the the knowledge base into society by by taking it mainstream. So I really appreciate you, Jamie, coming on and like your passion for this. Like I said, you could do anything with your life and like you're spending time advocating and giving your voice to people who don't have one. So I just want to honor you for that. You are absolutely amazing, you know, and you inspire me and and it's great to finally have you on. Thanks. And I just wanted to add that, like, I'm not sure how old you are, but I'm pretty sure me and you weren't even born when that, when Michelle went through her her ordeal and, and her therapy and wrote the book. And, you know, that's why I think it's so important for survivors to tell their story now. Like we look at some of these people that wrote books in the eighties and the nineties and gave their testimonies and nobody believed them and nobody was listening. And, you know, um, you know, it is like God's timing too. So like now it's like, you know, like some people like might find your testimony in the future or in five years or like, you don't know, like just put it out anyways, just keep speaking the truth because you never know whose ears it's going to fall on at the right time. Like, you know what I mean? And so I think we're just even examples of that. Like the fact that we weren't even around when this book came out and like now we're doing a show on it. So it's like things do come down the line. So yeah, anybody that's thinking about, telling their story or maybe thinks it's too late or it was too long ago or you know what I mean like I would say just keep speaking the truth get on record put it out there it's all building momentum it's all part of that dam filling up and like just you know what I mean like just uh it does matter and just keep keep telling the truth because eventually somebody's going to receive it yes the person that needs to receive it That's beautiful, Jamie. Thank you so much for coming on, girl. You guys listening, Jamie did give me an extensive um, resource list, which is awesome. I love when guests do that and they they give me links. So if you guys go in the show notes, I will link all the links that she sent me. Um, So you guys can just go click on the books and the, the articles and resources that she gives. I'd encourage you guys to go find that documentary that she is talking about. Uh, like she said, you could just type in, you know, Michelle, remember satanic ritual abuse or ritual abuse, you know, and, and see what pops up or documentary, you know, just plug in the keywords and see what comes up, watch it. If you can share that with friends, you know, and, and really look at how they position the counter narratives, you know, and that realize that what, what's being done with Michelle's story now is literally what every single survivor goes through. Like it's, it's the tactic mm-hmm. you get to see it in real life, how they do it and how manipulative it is. You know, so when you hear people on this show talking about, well, my family tried to discredit me and, and they all came together and colluded against me, like it's a really good sort of uh, bird's eye view of getting to see like how some of this manipulation is done. You know, so go watch that. I'm going to link all of that below. Go Google Jamie and go watch all of her stuff. She's amazing. If she has any particular interviews on ritual abuse, she wants me to link. I'll have that below too. Um, you guys can always reach out to me also. I have my email down below, imagineabetterworld2020 at gmail.com. Um, I can always be a liaison to Jamie and pass on a message if you guys have it. Or if you guys want a specific resource that she mentioned, go ahead and reach out to me and I can get it uh, from her and send it to you also or directly connect you if I have her permission. 
Um, so you guys, thank you so much for supporting. I will have all my links below to you. We could not do this without you, you guys. God bless you. And we will see you next time.